How can the Opportunity Zone incentive be applied to energy investments in the oil and gas sector? Find out next. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Opportunity Zones podcast, the weekly show where we interview Opportunity Zones professionals and experts from fund managers to tax advisors, from real estate developers to venture capitalists. If it impacts Opportunity Zones or the Opportunity Funds industry, we cover it here on the Opportunity Zones podcast. Welcome to the Opportunity Zones podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Atkinson, coming to you today from the ADISA conference in Scottsdale, Arizona. I'm joined by the Executive Vice President of U.S. Energy Development Corp., Matthew Ike. Matt, thanks for coming on the show today. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So your Qualified Opportunity Fund is a little bit of a different flavor than a lot of others that I've interviewed on this podcast. You're not a real estate fund. You are investing in the energy space. So to start us off, I'm going to ask you, I think it's a softball question. Why did you set up an OZ fund in the energy space? Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, that's a great question. It is a softball question. Uh, so I think what's unique is, is many of your listeners, all of your listeners probably will know about Opportunity Zones in general. So we are an investment company that tries to bring the best direct energy investments to direct investors. And when we look at the world as an energy company, we're constantly looking for the best arbitrage in both performance and tax. Because we believe it's not just what you earn, but it's what you keep. And when the Opportunity Zone tax law came into effect, it had an immediate appeal to us because we look for that type of investor, large accredited investors to invest in, in our company alongside of us. And so through the original genesis of that, tax law, it turned out that the law worked extremely well in the energy space. And since we already have access to a very large network of investors, the pairing just became this really unique arbitrage in a way that most people haven't thought of opportunity zones. And I'm sure most people know that opportunity zones are much more wide sweeping than real estate, but it appears that most of the law is utilized around real estate. Yeah, and we can get into why that is. Uh, A lot of the reason why it is is, well, one, the real estate uh, industry kind of has a muscle memory in terms of going through the motions, in terms of going through it. Uh, This isn't a tax credit program, but it can be likened to a tax credit program. And the fact that it's a place-based program lends itself well to uh, being utilized by real estate developers, right? Yeah. And and the fact that it's a fund, right, that the law is really designed as those who invest in funds is really the genesis of that law and the way it's written, which really fits well to those who raise capital, which happens to be real estate and also works very well for oil and gas. Right. So talk to us about oil and gas. I want to hear more about your fund later and and your investing strategy and what it is you're doing exactly. But but first, let's get the 30,000-foot view of the oil and gas sector. What are some trends, some marketplace trends that you're seeing lately? So there's a awful lot of backdrop that we can go through on the oil and gas uh, sector. So as many people probably realize that we're facing a lot of headwinds in the energy space. Uh, although a lot of the risks have abated over the last couple of years, like lower prices and you name it, uh, there's still a overall uh, issue with energy in terms of the public eyes. Right? So you have the overall ESG movement and a lot of political backlash. You have the, the climate change. Uh, you have regulation. You have a significant amount of, of forces that are working, I, I would say, contrary to the benefit of traditional oil and gas. 
At the same point in time, you have some of the greatest technologies that have advanced uh, over the last five years, like hydraulic fracturing, the ability to access and bring product to market and create energy independence. So you have all this positivity in direct juxtaposition to all the negativity. Uh, and I think the most interesting overall comment I could make about the space is what has happened in the last three to four years is through a combination of every factor you could imagine. I would say relatively poor performance from debt, equity, stock market in, in traditional energy, uh, coupled with the inability now for them to get new capital, partly because of that and partly because of the ESG movement, right? Uh, what you've seen is so much less capital in the space that is super capital intensive, right? To drill and to keep up with pace, you need to constantly put new production online. And when those two forces meet, the need for constant capital and then the lack thereof, what's actually re really happened in the last couple of years is you've had so much cost compression and technology change the industry in terms of its profitability and no capital coming in the space at the same time, which has created really phenomenal investment opportunities and arbitrages we haven't seen in 40 years. Uh, and, and part of it, and the simplest asset is because there's just not that much capital in the space. And now comes along the Qualified Opportunity Zone program, and it effectively lowers the cost of capital, right? It does, uh, pretty substantially. So uh, anytime you have a significant additional tax benefit on top of all the tax benefits that exist in an asset class, uh, obviously it creates a greater economic benefit. Um, and then with the fact that you can construct the funds in a very cost-efficient manner, it's a lower cost of capital to enter into the space. Probably a third of what it normally costs to have in a fund structure through at least what we've designed and I hope what others do in the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund space in direct energy. Yeah, that, and that makes perfect sense. I mean, it seems like the Opportunity Zone program came around just at the right time for the oil and gas sector in a way. Talk, talk to me about your fund now. What makes your fund unique and, well, what is it exactly? What are, you, what are you doing? You're buying up oil fields and installing wells, or, or what, what, what are you doing exactly? So, uh, again, great question for me. Uh, specifically, what we do in the fund is, obviously, you're going to raise a pool of capital in the Opportunity Zone Fund and comply with the different nuances of the law, whether it be original use or substantial improvement or a qualified Opportunity Zone business, one of the sub-entities. And what you're ultimately going to invest in is a field. Right. You're going to purchase the land or lease the land, and you're going to develop the reserves. The easiest way to comply with the law is original use. So actually just taking the lease and developing the wells qualifies you immediately. You don't have to chase down the normal rules. There's uh, no substantial improvement. There's no there. substantial improvement. You just install the well, and you're good to go. You're good to go. The time frame, you're spending the capital extremely rapidly within a couple of months. And, and to answer your question... Outside of the ease of complying with the law, which is unique, the one big difference in oil and gas opportunity zones is you're able to generate a ton of cash flow in the early years and distribute out cash flow because you don't have to wait for debt refinance distributions, which you have to wait for an extremely long period of time in most development. One, because how do you develop something to generate cash flow if you're substantially improving it? Uh, uh, but in addition to that, so you're generating actual cash flow, but you comply with the law in terms of actually being able to generate and distribute revenue. And then all the traditional benefits of oil and gas, all the tax deductions, the depletion allowance, the intangible drilling cost deductions, you actually pass those through as you generate revenue. So the revenue is tax-free during the life cycle, in addition to all the other OZ benefits. Well, that's pretty good. Yes. Hard, to, hard to beat that. It's Pass, passing along those types of benefits is, is huge to the investor at the end of the day. Correct. And it's, again, I, I think we make a great complement 
to the other opportunity zone asset classes. Because if you want to use the tax law with a large capital gain, mixing and matching oil and gas with real estate, we can generate a lot of the cash flow that they can't, and maybe they have more appreciation. right? So you can kind of mix and match the funds to generate a better conclusion in financial planning for the end client. Right. So you wouldn't necessarily recommend that someone with a huge capital gain pours it all into your fund, although I'm sure you would like that, right? <laughs> but yeah. it's a good diversifier. Yeah. From a capital formation standpoint, I think if I were someone's financial advisor, I would never allow them to take a single asset class, even, even real estate, which is safer by nature, and pour it into a single asset. So I, I think we're probably the best complement, and we're a great tool in the quiver. We may not be the single choice, nor should we ever be, if I was speaking from a financial planner standpoint. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Uh, talk to me about some of the biggest challenges that you faced, both in terms of setting up the qualified opportunity fund structure and in terms of raising capital for it. Uh, so those actually are probably the two biggest challenges. Uh, it's not the law. It's it's not the investment opportunities. It really came down to getting clarity on the law from 2017 to 19. There was a lot of hanging chads, as we all know. Uh, so I worked for over two years uh, with Baker McKenzie to, to draft and come up with the final version of the Opportunity Zone tax law. So that was kind of the one of the major challenges was just all the delays and the inability to get answers from the Treasury and from the IRS and from Congress to actually know how it was going to work down to the final piece. Then I think what happened is actually because of that long delay, amongst other reasons, there was somewhat of a lackluster buy-in from the investment community. Absolutely. And it really prolonged. And then when COVID hit, I think it's kicked it one more year, right? So That it, was really bad timing because we had finally just gotten final regulations at the end of 2019. And then, and then we were going, we were going, going along for like a couple for of months, months and then it, everything <laughs> shut down. So that I think there's a, a capital raise. And I, and I think there's still an impediment out there that people are missing. And, and the impediment that I constantly see is people believe that the tax deferral till 2026 is the big event of an opportunity zone. That's a minor benefit compared to the tax-free nature of the 10-year hold and the ability to generate tax-free cash flow during the life cycle, right? Tax-free is tax-free is tax-free. To me, it's really a super Roth. You're only limited by the amount you have in capital gains. It's the greatest financial planning tax tool I've ever seen in my life. If you can find the investment vehicles and the underlying assets that work, I can't find a better tax structure anywhere in the code. And the problem is, I think, the end, the middle audience isn't really understanding that it's a super Roth, not a tax deferral. The tax deferral is great. It's a plus. It's a cherry on top. But it is not the main reason to make the investment. And I think too much impetus has been put on that. Well, I think it's uh, giving some investors pause, especially with talks of Biden potentially raising capital gains taxes like he's talking about doing so into the high 30s, low 40s, something like that. Correct. That is giving people pause because they're saying, well, wait a second, I get to defer my taxes until 2026, but then I'm paying it at a, at a much higher rate. What the, what's the point of all this? Correct. They're, they're missing the bigger picture, I think. And by the way, that, that is a reasonable concern, but at the end of the day, it makes the benefit, I think, a lot more attractive, that back-end benefit, that exclusion benefit, the, uh, getting to avoid capital gains taxation on the appreciation, that's unbelievably huge, right? It's, it's unbelievable, right? The, and, the ability, and all the tax-free growth that you were speaking of earlier. Correct. So in oil and gas, what's really unique is that it's probably one of the highest IRR investments, internal rate of return. Mm-hmm. It's not the highest ROI. Right. Right. When you drill a well, you might only make one and a half times your money on that well. But you get 100% of it within three to four years. And if you're reinvesting in an opportunity zone, 
the compounding wealth that you're able to generate, which doesn't exist in any other oil and gas investment in that nature. So to me, the, the backside of this is so much more powerful than the deferral. And it is in many other asset classes like real estate and you name it. So I really wish that people would see that and stop worrying about the what happens in 2026. And there's just so much focus on that because I think even the idea of how do I pay the taxes? Is there going to be a special debt refinance distribution in 2026? In energy, we don't have that. Right. Because we have a stepped up basis. And mm-hmm. if I generate 30% cash flow that year, I can distribute all, all 30% tax-free to the investor because of the other tax benefits. So from our perspective, we don't have all the hanging chads of debt refinance distributions or all the different issues that come in the normal real estate opportunity zone paradigm that investors think. Right. No, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I think we see eye to eye on on that. Yeah. Uh, Probably like everybody else at this conference, I would hope uh, that back-end benefit is what is really driving this uh, tax incentive. I want to hear about what you're learning from your investors, Matt. What are they telling you? What, what do they like about your fund? So I, I alluded to a couple of the single biggest benefits that they like. They like that one will have a, a reduction in tax in 2026, that will have liquidity and cash flow during the life cycle, that you're generating 6% a year. That in essence is tax deferred, but tax free if you hold it for all 10. Uh, they love the unique opportunity of coming into an asset class that isn't at its peak, it's at its trough. So I think a lot of this is the arbitrage that they're looking at, that you have traditional energy at a very low price uh, versus buying in real estate at, at really high highs. And so instead of finding the diamond in the rough, the unique part is over half of our inventory that we drill as a company is in opportunity zones. We don't have to chase the inventory. The core of the Permian Basin, several cores of the Eagleford and the Powder River, they're all in opportunity zones. So that and you were drilling them already anyway. You're drilling them right? already. So it's not like you're going out of your way to find wells in opportunity zones. But if you happen to be drilling a well in an opportunity zone or setting up a well in an opportunity zone, you put it into the fund. You put Correct. it into the QOF structure. So right? about half of our inventory falls in. They go into the QOFs. The other half doesn't. They go into other funds. It's, it's just a nice little nuance for us in what we were already doing in our business. That makes perfect sense. And you, you, you have just one QOF. You don't have a different QOF for every field, do you? No. Right now, we just have one qualified opportunity zone fund for the energy sector. That makes it easy. It does. Yeah. Yes. And your investors typically, I want to hear more about what your capital base looks like. You said larger accredited investors. Are we talking about high net worth, ultra high net worth, family offices, a lot of RIA capital in there? It's a great question. So it's been a little unique in that um, we've had very large investors on average, much more than the average investor in energy. So on average, probably $800,000 investors that are coming into the fund. And that's usually only one-fifth of what their asset is or or 35%. So they're very large investments on average. Now, the the mean and median may be very different. Mm -hmm. Some of the larger ones may skew that. The really interesting thing for us is the end audience has been, we've had three times the demand from RIAs and direct clients and family offices than we have from the broker-dealer community. So part of that is the dislocation of interest that broker-dealers have versus RIAs. RIAs are going to be there for 10 years to manage the client. It isn't always the case in a broker relationship, or at least assumed to be the case. I, I think also the just the very nature of the compliance world of a broker-dealer is a lot more unsure of the Qualified Opportunity Zone Fund. Uh, so there's this middle market that makes it a little more difficult to distribute yep. than it does in the RIA. So we've seen uh, a massive, massive investment from the RIA side and an okay 
side from the from the broker dealer side. Sure, that makes sense to me. Oh, thanks for the insight there. That's always a fun question I like to ask uh, fund managers who come on the show. Where where's your money coming from? They they tell me similar stories, but a little little different wrinkle for every one of them it seems. Uh, so we're Matt, we're at the Adisa conference here. In Scottsdale, ADISA stands for Alternative and Direct Investment Securities Association. They do two conferences a year. Uh, they're having an annual conference in Vegas later this fall. Uh, this is, But this is their first conference they've had post-COVID. So we're all here in person now. It's really nice to be able to meet a lot of my industry colleagues that I've been getting to know over the last couple of years but haven't had a chance to meet them face-to-face. Matt, you and I just met uh, on a Zoom call about a week ago, and we're going to be on a panel tomorrow, or by the time you listen to this episode, the panel will have already happened. But uh, we're looking forward to talking Opportunity Zones with everybody at the conference pretty soon here. Uh, Why did you come to the Adisa conference? Matt, what brings you here to Scottsdale? So the weather's great, of course. It's hard to beat. It's It's a little hot out there. It's a little hot. But Adisa has been an organization that we've had a long affiliation with. We've really enjoyed the benefits. So they're a trade organization that uh, obviously represents alternative investments in Washington and represents alternative investments to different investment networks like broker-dealers and RIAs. So it's a gathering and a meeting spot for all of us to talk, to go on to interesting panels and discuss unique opportunities like Opportunity Zones, amongst other things. It's a constant forefront of what's happening from a legislative perspective, uh, and what's really happening in the industry as well. So uh, it's just a, probably one of the premier organizations in terms of the ability for people to get together or a meeting of minds who are in the investment community. And the beauty is there's a wide array of sponsors in the same fields, like energy, and a wide array of sponsors in many different fields, like life settlements to real estate to insurance. to So f- the ability to really look at products, fees, compression, discussion, all of that at one conference is always a benefit. So we've been a longtime advocate uh, and part of Adisa and found it extremely valuable for our organization. This is my first foray into the Adisa world, but I'm happy to be here and happy they invited me along and gave me this nice setup where I could record some podcast interviews. So uh, Matt is my first of many podcast interviews that I hope to be doing here at the Adisa conference over the next couple of days in Scottsdale. All right, well, Matt. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate all the time that uh, you've given me and your insight into both the Opportunity Zone world and into the oil and gas sector. Before we go, can you tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about you and U.S. Energy Development Corp.? Of course. Uh, I would recommend probably using our website as the primary site, uh, www.usedc, that's Echo Delta Charlie, or U.S. Energy Development Corporation, our name, .com. Uh, And there's a series of links and information about the suite of funds and tax concepts that we do. And then there'll be a series of numbers to contact us or honestly contact your advisor. We're probably on half the platforms in the U.S. that you can directly access our funds or different nuances of our funds. Not always the QOZ. Sometimes it's a a different fund structure, but we're probably one of the largest, if not the largest, direct energy sponsor in the U.S. That's impressive. Well, again, Matt. Thanks for joining me. And for our listeners out there today, I will have show notes on the Opportunity Zones database website, as I always do. You can find those show notes at opportunitydb.com slash podcast. And there I'll have links to all of the resources that Matt and I discussed on today's show. And I'll be sure to link to USEDC, Echo Delta Charlie, dot com, USEDC.com. Matt, thanks again for joining me. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. That's it for our show today. A huge thank you to you, our listener. If you liked this episode, please rate and review us on iTunes. 
The Opportunity Zones podcast is produced by the Opportunity Database. Visit OpportunityDB.com to learn more about Opportunity Zones and Opportunity Zone Fund investing. You can learn how to subscribe to this podcast and read more about today's guest in the show notes by visiting OpportunityDB.com slash podcast. And we'll be back soon with another episode.